This is Yudah Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. This episode is dedicated to the Shlema, the speedy recovery of Ze'ev Benfega and Uri Benfega, as well as for the Nishamot of Rav Pinchas Gedalia Ben Shimona Kohen, Chaya Allah Bat Chaim, and Masha Bat Chaim to rise higher and higher. If any listeners are interested in dedicating an episode, you can head on over to Vision Magazine at visionmag.org and click contact on the menu bar up top. For the last couple of weeks, our country has been experiencing an upsurge of terrible violence between Israelis and Palestinians. This has included several fronts, including incessant rocket fire from Gaza and brutal Israeli military retaliations, sectarian violence between Jews and Palestinians in cities with mixed populations west of the Green Line, attacks and counterattacks in the West Bank, and of course, a public relations war between pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian forces around the world. But the truth is that Israelis and Palestinians are actually fighting two completely different conflicts, and we don't even understand why the other is fighting. It's actually worse than that. Both sides and our respective supporters around the world have for the most part adopted a position of principled ignorance to the narrative of the other and have actually turned engaging each other's narrative into an act of weakness or betrayal. Which means that even those who would normally be open to trying to understand the other are now less likely to do so. So I'd like to use this podcast to try and address the situation we find ourselves in, in the hope that we can successfully find our way out. Willfully mischaracterizing the other, imposing identities, philosophies, and motivations on the other that have absolutely nothing to do with how anyone experiences themselves isn't helpful. It doesn't help us win wars, and it doesn't help us reconcile our differences. And both sides are equally guilty of this. So it's important to understand on a very basic level that while the vast majority of Israelis relate to this conflict as an over 100-year-old ethnic conflict that's still ongoing, Most Palestinians seem to see it as a conflict that Israel won a long time ago, but insists on continuing to act unjustly. Part of this is due to the current power dynamics, which most Israelis don't even fully understand. We should acknowledge that the power dynamics favor Israel, and that this for the most part makes it our responsibility to take the first steps towards building trust and changing the relationship between our peoples. But we should also try to understand how those power dynamics came to be and why. The trauma of not having power for so long is too real and too central for Jews to ever feel the need to apologize for having the upper hand. Israelis, for the most part, don't understand the discourse about power dynamics, because for us, having the power feels crucial for our survival. We worked hard for decades to have military dominance and control over the situation because most Israelis genuinely think that if we didn't have that power, we'd be in a situation similar to the way things were here in the 1920s or the way things were for us in the exile. Jews have had a lot of trauma connected to not having power, and suddenly having power again is a complicated experience for us. And Palestinian violence, even if at this point it's largely just a reaction to the way in which Israel wields our power, only reaffirms a need for power in the collective Israeli psyche. A lot of the recent violence of the last couple weeks appears, at least on the surface, to have started around the situation in Sheikh Jarrah which many Israelis have tried to reduce to a simple property dispute. A Jewish neighborhood of Jerusalem was conquered by Jordan in 1948 and cleansed of its Jewish residents. It was then used by the UN and the Hashemite Kingdom to house Palestinian refugees fleeing other parts of Israel. Those refugees were never given legal ownership over the properties, and Israel's Supreme Court ruled that those properties still belonged to the Jewish families that were expelled by Jordan. 
and that the Palestinians who live there need to start paying rent. The Palestinians refused to do so, and eviction orders were issued. A lot of questions can be raised about this, but I don't think it's helpful or productive to ignore the extent to which property disputes between Jews and Palestinians, just like history, archaeology, demography, and many other things, have been politicized here by both sides. Some Israelis want to reduce this to just a situation of tenants being evicted for not paying rent to the legal owners of their homes. And the fact that Israel's Supreme Court, generally viewed as hostile to any Jewish property claims east of the Green Line, actually ruled in favor of the Jews in this case, led most Israelis to see the Jewish claims as ironclad. A feeling that was also validated by the fact that when Jews are found to be living on land that our Supreme Court deems to be owned by Palestinians, we aren't even given the option to pay rent and remain in our homes. For Jews, there are no options other than eviction and demolition, not because the court genuinely cares about Palestinians, but because it works to advance the two-state agenda of the West. And this is why it's so important for us to not run away from the politicization and to approach this issue within its full holistic context. On the one hand, the properties in question were owned and inhabited by Jews prior to the 1948 war. The Jordanian military conquered and drove out the Jews, just as it did in other parts of Jerusalem and elsewhere in the country. But the same also happened in reverse. In fact, many, many more Palestinian communities were destroyed by Israel during that war than Jewish communities destroyed by Jordan and Egypt. And that's even if we count the Jewish communities of Hebron and Gaza City destroyed by a combination of Palestinian violence and British colonial policy in 1929. Should we treat pre-1948 war Palestinian property rights the same as we're treating Jewish property rights in Sheikh Jarrah? I think most Israelis would answer no, even if they don't understand or aren't prepared to admit why. I don't even think our Supreme Court would move in such a direction, because as the state of Israel's self-appointed guardians of liberal Zionist values, these judges aren't likely to take the same positions west of the Green Line as they do in the West Bank. Another realization we should take away from all this is that the image Israel's Hasbara industry puts forward actually works against us. Despite the portrayal of Israeli society that our ruling class and diaspora supporters like to present, Israel is actually not some startup nation or liberal Western democracy or extension of Western power in the Middle East. Just as Israel is not the European settler colony that Palestinians and their supporters often try to portray it as. In fact, Israeli society is deeply Semitic in nature, especially in places like Jerusalem where the Jewish community predates the Zionist movement and sees itself as no different than any other embattled regional population, with the only real added difference being the challenge of having to return for many centuries of forced exile. Most Israelis don't understand the accusations launched against us and just chalk them all up to anti-Semitism. Most don't even understand what terms like settler colonialism mean. After several centuries suffering in exile without any power or minimal ability to defend ourselves against our many persecutors, Israelis aren't interested in feeling guilty about using our newly obtained power to advance our own interests. But I'd like to suggest that maybe our deeper national interests demand that we become comfortable enough with having power again that we learn how to actually wield it in pursuit of justice. Most Israelis see the Palestinians as part of a much larger Arab collective that's tried many times to destroy us. And I think most Israelis understand our conflict with the Palestinians as a relatively horizontal ethnic conflict in which Jews somehow managed to gain the upper hand. And that we've been far more benevolent than the Palestinians would have been had they gotten the upper hand over us. The Hasbara industry tries to present Israel as a liberal Western democracy. 
where being an Israeli is a civic national identity and everyone can be equally Israeli, whether Jewish, Arab, or whatever else. But that's just not true. It ignores the very real identities, affiliations, and loyalties people hold and tries to project a fantasy disconnected from reality. The Hebrew word Israeli actually means the children of Israel. That's how most Israelis identify. And if the Jewish-Arab violence in the mixed cities west of the Greenland have taught people anything, it should be that. Not only the violence itself, but also the different ways in which Israeli police and courts treat the Jews and Palestinians involved in that violence. Despite the image our Hasbara organizations like to project, most Israelis might not actually expect our institutions to treat all populations here the same, especially when it comes to populations we've been in conflict with for over 100 years. I think the expectation is actually for our security forces, judges, and lawmakers to primarily act on behalf of Jewish interests. I'm not saying this is positive or negative. I just think it should be acknowledged because I realize how much this reality conflicts with the image crafted by our foreign ministry and Hasbro organizations. And I don't think that that image has actually been helpful in any way. Moving forward might actually require us to challenge it. And doing so, challenging that image, might even create new possibilities for our reconciliation with, and even justice for, Palestinians. As always, the situation in Sheikh Jarrah was contextualized and experienced completely differently by both sides, who each behaved as if we had an ironclad case and that justice was so objectively on our side. But neither was able to see the justice on the other side. And because most outsiders contextualize Israel as the Western society our Hasbara industry and ruling elites like to present us as, it's also hard for anyone who isn't actually part of Israeli society to even understand the Jewish position on these issues. But let's face it, nobody really wants to understand each other. Even the fact that I'm trying to help listeners better understand Israeli society right now will likely be attacked. Since this current outbreak of violence began, I've taken criticism from Israelis, Palestinians, and our respective supporters abroad for promoting what some call a both-sidesist approach to a situation they see as really clear-cut. I've been accused of obscuring justice and injustices with my focus on narratives and the need to understand why the other acts in ways that seem not only indefensible but even objectively evil. So as the violence continues and people are needlessly taken from our world, I really feel driven by my own frustration to clarify why I find the more holistic approach to our situation to be so crucial. When I try to encourage Israelis, Palestinians, and our respective fans abroad to engage the narrative of the other, I'm not trying to defend or excuse anyone's behavior. I'm not asking anyone to capitulate or accept injustice. I'm actually trying to point to what I'm convinced is the only way out of this mess. No one's doing me a favor by challenging themselves and engaging the other's narrative. This is about us all being able to move forward so that we can get to a point of no longer hurting each other. I define narrative as a version of reality, a story told about a chain of events that organizes facts while being influenced by ideology. The same chain of events, the same facts can be organized into many different narratives, especially if influenced by different lenses for understanding history and identity. I don't think it's possible to fully escape ideology. Even those of us not actively formulating our own are passively accepting the ideology of our broader societies. But I do think we can and should be aware of our ideological paradigms in order to transcend them. Now, just for the record, I do believe in objective capital T truth. But I don't think human beings are capable of fully grasping that truth. The best way for us to come closer to objective truth, to Hashem's truth, to divine truth, 
is through being inclusive of other people's subjective truths. So when it comes to the last 101 years of our conflict here, there are millions of facts, and each side tends to selectively choose the facts we prefer while ignoring those that inconveniently complicate the stories we want to believe is true. Israelis and Palestinians for the most part tell the truth about ourselves, but sound offensively ignorant when saying anything about each other. And rather than challenge ourselves to learn how the other experiences himself and the situation here, we tend to superimpose identities and motivations on one another that have very little to do with how anyone actually thinks or identifies. Instead of engaging the other as the other understands himself, we each simply cast him as the antagonist in our own stories, which may sometimes make for effective propaganda but isn't helpful when trying to either reconcile or decisively win. Good propaganda doesn't necessarily lead to effective methods of struggle or military strategies, because the nature of propaganda is to simplify and obscure, and because Israelis, Palestinians, and our respective fans are so invested in our propaganda efforts, we ultimately end up not even fighting each other, but actually fighting our fantasy antagonists as they exist in our own narrow subjective narratives. I can appreciate that flare-ups like these tend to entrench everyone deeper in our narrow narratives. But such entrenchment doesn't actually help anyone or change anything. Palestinians aren't doing us Jews any favors by recognizing the children of Israel as being from this land, because their own liberation is also connected to this recognition. The insistence on relating to Israelis as European colonizers and framing everything within a colonization lens leads Palestinians to adopt tactics that would force a foreign occupier to retreat but only causes a stronger population that sees itself as native to become more brutal. When the Jewish underground fought the British Empire to free Palestine in the 1940s, we worked to make the price of occupation more expensive than the benefits of exploitation. When the Lehi, the Lohamei Cherut Israel, the fighters for the freedom of Israel, took out the Haifa oil refinery in 1947, it only took another few attacks on British personnel and institutions until the occupier finally announced it was leaving. But Palestinians using those same tactics against Israelis leads to very different results because even as Palestinians believe we're a bunch of colonizers from Europe, we deeply self-identify as being native to this land and having nowhere else to go. Let's be honest, because of the power imbalances which Israelis don't always fully see or understand, Palestinians have far more to lose in the short term and might therefore have more urgent incentives to understand the Jewish people and what we actually think we're doing here. Although I frequently point out that the power dynamics favoring Israel puts more responsibility on us to make the first moves towards building trust, I'm open to the possibility that a combination of Palestinians being more politically advanced and being faced with a more urgent reality might actually push them to take the lead in the process I see as being so necessary here. And while Palestinians need to stop relating to Israelis as Europeans that could be fought through anti-colonial tactics, Israelis need to stop pretending we're not ruining the lives of real human beings and further radicalizing a population we live with against ourselves, a population we actually have every reason to be allied with. We need to stop pretending that this upsurge in violence is just about some property dispute in Sheikh Jarrah or a smokescreen for the cancellation of Palestinian elections. It's about decades of us attaining our own material liberation at the expense of another people in such a way that's been very easy for our detractors to frame through a lens of colonization. I can't help feeling that all of this recent violence could have been avoided, had enough of us actually had the courage to challenge ourselves and engage the other's story and identity. 
but what's worse is the extent to which both sides and our fans insist on not being open to the narratives of the other, and accusing people like me of both sidesism because they think actually understanding the other will make their side weaker or legitimize injustices against them. So right now neither side can win, and no one can make peace without understanding the other side. And no one wants to actually do that because the propaganda on both sides creates a fantasy antagonist of the other that no one wants to admit is untrue. So instead, both sides keep fighting blind, against our fantasy antagonists, and people die, mostly Palestinians of course, because we Israelis have the upper hand. Some think that international pressure and BDS can effectively threaten Israel. But such things can only further radicalize us, and make Israelis more hardline. What I'd prefer to see is for Israelis to define for ourselves what we hope to see in this country, and where the Palestinians can fit into that vision. The power dynamics favor us, and that puts a lot of responsibility for ending this on our shoulders. But it also empowers us to determine what should be. Right now, the United States is trying to use this current round of violence to jumpstart another process aimed at dividing our land into two separate states. We need to resist that paradigm. In fact, I'd argue that this Western-imposed two-state paradigm is largely responsible for politicized property disputes like the one in Sheikh Jarrah. When Israelis are made to believe that Palestinians seek political sovereignty over Jerusalem and that the only way to protect Jerusalem from being divided is to have more Jews living in parts of the city that the world wants to take away from us, we stop seeing Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah as human beings whose lives are ruining, and we can only see them as an enemy population trying to take Jerusalem away from the Jewish people after we fought so hard to return. So we need to reject the Western paradigm of partition and replace it with a one-state paradigm from the river to the sea. This land cannot be divided, but we need to figure out a way for Palestinians to live here and to realize their aspirations with us as partners. This also means acknowledging that when it comes to Gaza, there's only one solution. Israelis need to admit how wrong we were for letting the Americans force us out of Gaza in 2005. We need to return to Gaza, dismantle Hamas, rebuild the Jewish communities that were destroyed there, and offer the Palestinians living there a better life with us. I honestly don't believe that the healing can start with this current round of violence. I wish it could, but I think we need to be realistic. There's already over a hundred years of misunderstandings we need to unpack. Multiple layers. But if Israelis can try to understand that a return to our land and a return to power requires us to take responsibility for defining and ensuring justice here, maybe we can use this current situation to think about the kind of society we hope to create here and what that can and should look like for all inhabitants of this land. For me, that would actually be the truest and greatest expression of Jewish sovereignty. In any case, we put a lot of work into this show and really hope it's useful in helping listeners to develop a vision for what Jewish liberation can look like today. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and or Spotify. And please leave a positive rating and review because it can really help us spread these ideas to a much wider audience. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at visionmag.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, if you're interested in supporting the show or sponsoring an episode, please contact us by heading over to visionmag.org and clicking contact on the menu bar up top. This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you've been listening to the Next Stage Podcast. You can check out the show notes of this episode by going to visionmag.org backslash the next stage 53.